0: Welcome back to the third part of the third episode of the Considering the World Cup podcast. I'm Holden Willemsen here with Bjorn Schaefer and Dash Tischler. So in this in this final part, we're going to be going over the games that have already happened in the round of 16. And then uh, uh, in the last sort of part of it, um, we're going to be going uh, and previewing some of the games that will be going on uh, that have not yet happened in the round of 16. Um, So, first, Netherlands-US. That was um, not the US's best performance per se. Uh, uh, The Netherlands, on the other hand, that was probably one of the better performances under Van Gaal, in my opinion.
1: Uh, what, What did you guys think of it? Um, I thought thought that the U.S. had probably their weakest performance of the World Cup at the wrong time, but I thought there was still a lot to like. I mean, the U.S. had more possession. They had more chances. The Dutch were clinical, and really that was what set them apart because you take out that clinicality. I think the Dutch ultimately deserved to win, but in the first half, the U.S. were the better side, and there's certainly a lot to build on there. And if they could have fixed the defensive lapses and also potentially had done better with their finishing because certainly like even with the open goal that admittedly was cleared off the line in the end. So it wasn't open forever. That's a, that's a chance that you can finish. And I think that the U S they had their chances to take this game by the scruff of the neck in the first half and get back into it, but they couldn't take it. And in the end, the Dutch were clinical and come second half the Dutch were ready and held out. So I think for the U S was a disappointing end to the tournament because their defense, which had been so good, showed a lot of shakiness and gave the Dutch chances and for the Dutch, I think there's positives in that they were very clinical. But I think for the U.S., there's also positives in the way that they were able to control possession and and dictate play for a lot of the first half. And for the Dutch, I think there's a negative in the fact that the U.S. was able to do that controlling and the Dutch may not be able to rely on clinicality against other stronger teams who have better finishing.
0: Absolutely. Um, and uh, Bjorn, Bjorn, what were your uh, thoughts on this? Because I know you're in the Netherlands right now, and yeah. you're getting sort of a, uh, you're, you're hearing from a lot of the people who are there. What what, what What's the general consensus over there?
2: I mean, overall, I mean, I, a lot of them are happy. I mean, you know, of course, they weren't at the World <laughs> Cup last time, so making it to the quarterfinals is also something special and something they enjoy. But I don't know, you also hear a lot of criticisms from many Dutch people or, in general, the fan base. I mean, it's not like they play beautiful soccer or play dominant soccer. Uh, many criticize Van Gaal's tactics, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think you have to respect it. You know, they're very disciplined when they get the chances they take them. Uh, and, you know, they're not sloppy. They don't make many mistakes. Luckily, when I think it was the 2-1 and then USA had a breakaway uh, away with Haji Wright, the South in. Um But other than that, I mean, you know, also Van Gaal really sticks to his plans. You know, for example, I think Delis had a bad first game and then he doesn't play anymore. They really try to keep a consistent basis of players. Um, And as well, I mean, you know, bringing in players like Depay, who are very, uh, they played a lot in big games, and I think it really showed, you know, you need that kind of experience. Uh, So for them, I think it was a good performance against,
0: I think, a USA side who
2: put a really good fight.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like Dash had mentioned with the defensive errors, I think on that third goal, for the Netherlands, uh, yeah, I think that the Dumfries yeah. was uh, open for at least what four seconds. Yeah, it was certainly completely unmarked in the in the box, and so I think that that's that was probably the most glaringly obvious one. But oh, I, I I feel like in this case the U.S. I, I know that a lot of the fan base are sort of like against playing a lot of MLS players, which in fairness, like most of the time works, right? If if you play your European players who play in better teams on better, or in better teams in better leagues, right? Obviously most of the time that's gonna work, but in this case, I mean, you can't really blame MLS, the MLS players because uh, first goal, Tyler Adams, as much as I love the guy, didn't mark the run into the box. Uh, second goal, uh, Dest couldn't get in front of uh, Blint, and then third goal, you have uh, Anthony Robinson uh, not marking no. the back. So I mean, like, here's a. I mean, like, ultimately, I-, I don't want to point any fingers or anything like that. I feel like you need European players, and and I'm I'm saying. That that's my point isn't that that the that the MLS players should start over the European players, but it's more that mistakes can come from anyone. Uh, yep. It's it's not about where you play uh, or anything like that. It's about how you play, right? True. And
1: how you fit into a system. I'll also say though, all three of those players, I would say, were strong performers for most of the World Cup. I mean, Adams is the captain. You can say he's the heart and soul of the side. Um, Robinson admittedly it's a bad mistake, but even during that same game I thought he looked bright at times and Des had several good performances. I think the issue for the U.S. right now is really all three of those guys are younger players. They weren't They weren't maybe used to playing on this stage. Bjorn talked about the experience of some of the Dutch. I thought Depay was outstanding. Um, I think that I mean, Daley Blit is a veteran as well. Like If the U.S. had just had more experience, I think that would have helped them, but also I think looking forward the issues for this U.S. team are coaching and also, how in the next four years will this team as, play as top opposition? Because, I mean, the U.S. might act like the Gold Cup matters every two years, but it's, in my mind, maybe the weakest of the continental tournaments. And I think the U.S. really has to start trying to set up friendlies with top European, South American, and African and Asian opposition, and maybe also trying to see if they can get into the Copa America as a guest nation, because this team, I think, has a lot to like. They just got to keep on developing and getting more experience together because if they can, and if they get the right coach, because I think also a lot of this comes on to Berhalter for making bizarre tactical decisions several times throughout this tournament. And in the end, in this game, I think he made the right subs. But at the same time, like, I, I still wonder why Brendan Aronson didn't get more minutes in the tournament. I still wonder why Gio Reyna was basically a passenger. Um, I think that really, there's a, there's room for the U.S. to develop. But the individual errors maybe are those will be a swage through time. Yeah, absolutely. It's like also the
2: inconsistency with like who plays at Ford. I mean, you had Pereira yesterday, then you had Haji Wright play one game, and then sometimes you had pulls such as like a false sign. I don't know. I don't. I think they're lacking that kind of big time player up front. But even then, I wouldn't have lined up Pereira just his first start of the tournament yesterday in the big game. They tried yeah. to put an in or even Haji Wright, who when he came on, well, he actually looked dangerous. Uh, so maybe he should have played from the beginning. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I told that before. I think Steve Turandolo would be a perfect replacement as a coach from LASC. Um, even then, though, I still don't know how much they're panicking yet. I mean, I don't know. if and Before the tournament, of course, there was a lot of debate, right, if he was the right man or that he's still there. But, yeah, I still think it's a positive World Cup for them. And many I positives just- they
1: can take out of it. I agree with you. I do think it's a positive for the US. I think it's a good run. I think this is there are great performances in this World Cup for them. I also agree with you that I think Terendalu would be a great hire. Um, I'm not a Burhalter fan. When you talk about consistency, like Burhalter, the fact that the American media debates who will get called up for the next national team camp or like the next set of friendlies is not a good sign. If I'm a national team manager, you need to develop continuity within the squad, and Burhalter has never had that. Like he's not somebody who consistently picks the same players. And I think moving forward, you need somebody who's got less of a scattergun approach to call-ups and somebody like Tirundalu, who's maybe a more proven commodity in terms of his success, even at club level, or even if you get another national team manager, because national team management is very different from club management. And you don't need a good club manager to be a good to have a good national team manager. Like even if let's say a guy like a Hervé Renard from Saudi Arabia were to come on the market who's a proven in tournaments, why not take a punt on him? Because he's clearly a proven successful guy
0: we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And I think another good shout for manager of the national team in the future could be Jim Curtin of uh, the Philadelphia union. I think what he's done with that uh, club in the last few years, he's turned them from a laughing stock into arguably the best team in the league. So I think, and one of the best teams in terms of developing players, arguably the best, you know, and in fairness, Philly have always had a fantastic academy, but he's really gotten what he can out of that. And I feel like he could be a good manager for the national team in terms of, like, developing players. Now, with Halter, I think that he still should have a job within the USSF, right? But I think it should be in terms of player recruitment because that's that's his forte. Like, what we've seen from him um is is fantastic in terms of convincing players to play for the US national team right he's he's gotten dest he's gotten musa he's gotten all these guys so i think i think that that could be a fantastic job for him in the future and uh uh it would really play to his strengths in my opinion but yeah and then england senegal uh, was or, no, sorry, Australia-Argentina was right after that. Uh, I think, Bjorn, you have this one? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, interesting game. I think one that Argentina,
2: I would say, dominated. Uh, but, of course, Australia, I think, surprised everyone with their ability to keep up. And almost at the end, obviously, they had the chance. But... uh is this? Do you see this as a kind of dominant Argentina performance or a bit of a worrying sign, maybe not as dominant as people would have hoped or expected?
1: I think it's worrying. Um, I think that once again, Australia gave them a tough test and Argentina did not really pull away. And while I do see that Australia have shown that they're a better side than many people expected, it wasn't as easy to pinpoint what it was that was keeping them up with Australia the way that with Argentina the way that like in the Saudi Arabia game, it was clear like you could explain that through tactics and through and through technical ability. But the Australia game was less clear why Argentina was struggling with them. Um and I think like Australia will walk away from that game feeling like they gave them a really good game. And for Argentina that's a worrying sign. Um they're still unconvincing. I think they've yet to play an opponent who's really bad at I mean, Saudi Arabia were great against them, but they lost that game. I think they've yet to beat an opponent who you really felt like, wow, they came through and out a top-notch team. Like Australia played really well, but I don't think they're top notch. But that said, like I, I think this is a great run for them. I mean, I I did not see this coming from them at all. Um, a few months ago, it didn't even look like they'd be in the World Cup. It looked like they'd be fodder for Peru in the playoffs. And just this is an amazing turnaround for them. And they could have won that game. I mean Imagine if Aziz B. Hitch had scored that goal, which would have been such – I mean, that would have been a wonder goal if he had that run and then finished it. Or even at the very end with the near miss where Martinez made that clutch save. Um, and, like, I don't know. I just think that it's its not a good sign for Argentina. Yeah. I mean,
2: they you could say – I mean, Argentina, I think they could have at least scored five goals. I mean, Lautaro Martinez had two huge chances – then you had another half one, and Messi obviously had a close one, Alvarez, all of them. I mean, I would still say it was a pretty dominant showing, but of course, that kind of vulnerability, I have to say, to goals out of nowhere they kind of concede is maybe cause for concern.
0: Yeah, Argentina, you know, going into this tournament, I'd said that they were defensively strong, and that's why I liked them. And I mean, I think to some extent, They've they've shown that right in this game that that, you know, they can stop these chances, but they're also letting a lot of chances happen Uh, or having a lot of chances are happening and they're like barely stopping them. And we have to keep in mind this is against Australia, who no offense meant to them, but they don't have the attacking firepower of a lot of teams. Right? If, if they play against for example who they're gonna play against in the quarterfinal of the Netherlands, a team who are extremely clinical with their chances th- that's that's a nightmare situation for Argentina in my opinion because there were Australia could have easily scored three or even maybe four with some of the chances they've had right and yeah, so I think the attack wise, the the problems I think have been mostly sorted. Lautaro Martinez unfortunately seems to be a bit of a Gonzalo Higuain um, uh, remake uh, in that sense. Because uh, I mean, for the national team, he's just not been clinical enough. I mean, there were some chances at the end there where where you're really scratching your head, saying, "Well, how can you miss that?" Right, one on one with the keeper or at a slight angle on the edge of the box, and he just misses. I don't know how. But but yeah, Julian Alvarez has been a fantastic um, person to put in instead of um, Lautaro Martinez. And I think that um, he he can really be the future of that national team. But uh, yeah, I mean... If I'm Argentina right now, I'm a bit worried going into that uh, that quarterfinal game against the Netherlands. Although, I mean, it's not something to be too worried about because, like, while they are letting up chances, they have the defensive quality to like stop a lot of them. You know, so it's 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 weird, but yeah.
1: I feel like the issue with Argentina wasn't even that they give up that many chances. Cause when I think about it, it's like the cool chance at the end, uh, obviously the day hitch near wonder goal, which that's those sorts of things are rare. And then yeah. the one which actually did deflect in, which were like really notable to me. But at the same time, like the issue is I feel like when their defense gives up chances, they invariably seem to end up being big ones, you know? And then on the offensive end. The issue is that, like you talked about, I mean, yes, they have a lot of chances, but their midfield doesn't control games. Like They don't look like a team. And for most of that game, it looked like they were just going to quietly put away Australia, but Australia just looked really limited for most of that game as well. But like they looked like they were fighting hard but couldn't do much. And I think it's, sure, winning ugly, it happens. It, that's what France did for parts of 2018. But at the same time, like, Argentina's midfield doesn't scare me right now. I'd love to see them get more out of Rodrigo de Paul because he's a player who, on his day, can be super creative. At Udinese, he was a great playmaker. But the thing is, in the national team, that's just not who he is. And that's an issue. I don't know why it is that way. Because he's someone who, if they could unlock him, their midfield gets that much stronger. But right now, I think their midfield will get outruled by a lot of teams. That'll become a lot harder for them to create chances. And that could pose them problems.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see. Netherlands Argentina will be interesting. Um yeah. Well, then next, I guess we'll move on right away to today's four pm game. Well, ten am your time. France Poland. Uh, one where the first half you thought, oh well, Poland actually they had a few cut chances, and honestly, they should have scored and took in the taking the lead with the Zielinski chance. But uh, at the end, it seemed like, you know, uh, Mbappe masterclass and France just kind of taking it away. I think after 50 minutes or so, 50, uh, Poland looked really tired, didn't really have much energy left. Do you think this was a dominant showing by uh, France or maybe just that they're just outclassing Poland completely due to,
0: you know, the squad kind of dominance? I think that France... I think that it's a mixture. I think that they Poland in, in the midfield were a bit weak, in my opinion. Uh, and, and that makes sense because their two best players are a striker and a goalkeeper, right? So inherently, when your best players are at opposite sides of the field and you don't have much quality outside of like the defense... Yeah, I mean it's like kind of they they don't they never would have the quality to like keep up with this France side, but I think even considering that um, France had generally outclassed them after those early chances, right? I think I think that was a bit of a uh, it, it was like dumping cold water on France while they were asleep, right? It it woke them up, right? It. it it got them in the game, and then they um, uh, obviously scored three goals on uh, on Poland, which, yeah, I mean, if, if Poland convert those early chances, maybe we're talking about a different game. But I think, uh, yeah, France were just a lot better than Poland on the day. And I think just in general, they're a lot better than Poland.
1: I think that France wore Poland out. Poland couldn't play with them for more than 50 minutes, in truth. Um, but at the same time, like this was an encouraging performance from Poland. This was better than I expected from them. I thought this was a game that could get ugly. But in the end, I think they, they were a limited side. Um, that Those chances in the first half, I thought those were good chances. Poland looked, Poland looked more up for this game than they did against Argentina, which was a good sign. I thought that Zielinski, who I, I think he's underrated, and I think he's always underperformed for Poland. Um, I think he's a quality playmaker, but unfortunately he never transfers his club form to the national team. Today, he had moments where I thought he was dangerous. and looked like he was trying to create something. So that's encouraging Looking moving forward because he's a player who certainly – I mean, he's only 28. He has a couple of tournaments left in him. Maybe he's 27. I need to check that. But he's he's he was born in 1994, so he's got a couple of tournaments left in him probably. That's encouraging for the future. Um, Lewandowski, you can see there are a couple of where he tried to get into the game, but he's just been a passenger for too much of this tournament. And I'm not sure why Arkadiusz Milik didn't come in earlier. Um, maybe it's a fitness issue. I know he's had a long history of those. I don't know. I'm not in the squad, so like, I don't know what his. I don't know what he's capable of right now. But like at the same time, I would say that he is after Zielinski, Chesney, and Lewandowski. They're next best player. so I'm not sure why he's on the bench most of the game. Um, I thought that France just really turned up the quality and Poland couldn't last for them. and got worn out. France looked like a good team again. Um, starting the first half had some cause for concern, but I think in the end their talent showed and Mbappe was a match winner and Giroud looked dangerous again. That Everyone in that team looks like a capable player for them right now. There's no weak links, even if they aren't all starters, which makes sense because they're all quality players in that squad, but good for France. Honestly, Decent performance by Poland, but in the end, they're out and they were outplayed. Do you think, I don't know, kind of like the vibe I
2: got also? I heard people might ask, in a way, I feel like Mbappe really is kind of setting himself as that top player in the world. And now you see players like Lewandowski, who I saw, thought had a very poor tournament overall, maybe kind of losing their edge. Do you think you kind of see that? Or do you think it's still a debate between, like, you know, if, Lewandowski still really top, or maybe Mbappe actually is the top player in the world, or he's better than Messi or Ronaldo? How do you feel about that?
1: I mean, I think Messi and Ronaldo at this point in time are out of the equation. Um, I know people love Messi and will praise him a lot. I'm skeptical of all league all players just because it's a lower level than the other four of the top five leagues, which means I've also been skeptical of Mbappe, but this World Cup, he's been great. Um, so yeah, I do think right now he's probably on current form the best player in the world. Um, Lewandowski is a great player and I'm a massive fan of his I think he deserves to have two Ballon d'Ors right now unfortunately he doesn't have either Um, but he did not show up at this tournament and he he looked like a player who was more reliant on service and wasn't getting it than a player who was really able to create for himself and I think Mbappe is maybe not as multi-dimensional of a player as some but he's he's an excellent player at what he does, and he's just he he was the match winner tonight. He was the best player on the pitch. So yeah, I think maybe right now he is the best player in the world. Yeah, I think the uh,
0: the 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 new debate between him and Erling Holland is going to be uh, the same as how mess well to some extent similar to how Messi and Ronaldo uh, debates were in those early to mid two thousand tens, right? But I think that uh, him, him, and Holland—they're both going to be fantastic players in the future. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen enough from either yet to say that they'll be the best in the world over the other, but I think that they're both um, going to be future Ballon d'Or winners, definitely.
1: I want to also just make a quick plug. This is not entirely related for Harry Kane, Jamal Musiala, and Fitcha Skellia as players to watch. True. Uh, I think that Kane, if he played for a club other than Spurs, where he actually got better service, his goal totals would rival. If he were in the city side, his goal totals would be as good as Holland's and his assist totals would be better. Um, I think we'll get I mean, we'll get to him later with England, but I think he's shown his quality in this World Cup as well. Even when he's not scoring, he's still vital to how they play. Um, and then obviously he's much older than those guys though. And then Musiala is another great player who I think but there's a bit of a Bundesliga underratedness to a lot of Bundesliga players, unfortunately, but he's he's. Quality. I can make a documentary about that, yes.
0: Uh, um, absolutely. I think the Bundesliga in general is an underrated league. You know, I, I think that overall, if we're talking about, combi- well, if we're combining atmosphere with the actual quality of play, I think that it's better than almost any of the other top five leagues. But, but 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 quality of play, I still have it like third or fourth. So it's yeah, atmosphere is first by far. I mean it's yeah. in amazing. I've uh, I've tried to get to some Bundesliga games in the past, and oh my god! I, I mean like it's so difficult because almost almost every game is sold out.
2: Yeah,
0: right? and yeah, usually like you have to become a
2: member remember like sometimes we've gone to Byron games but that's because my dad like 15 years ago put my brother in the membership list so we're quite ahead in the ranking so just based on that you get access but no definitely it's worth it like even going to small stadiums like up north or anywhere it's a great atmosphere
0: yeah and then I know how you mentioned Kvica I mean he is Fantastic, And and I know that Edwin von der is going to be absolutely kicking himself because two years ago, uh, three years ago, Ajax tried to sign him. And then he was, he was, he was like down to do it. And then Ajax were like, oh, wait, we have like another option. There were like three or four windows where the main player we were linked to was him. And then of course, of course he ends up scoring a 6-1. Against us. I mean,
1: he's younger he's younger than Holland still. Um he's and the way he's taken to Serie a, I think, is really impressive. I'll also say Pedri and Gabby are two other players to watch out for. Um, even if maybe Gavi's a little bit over it right now, in my opinion. But we'll see. There's a lot of great young players right now. But yes, I do think that Mbappe currently the best player in the world. Fair. Um
0: yeah, and then Dash, I think you have the England Senegal
1: game. Yeah, I mean this is one where in the end, I think the talent gap, the talent gap showed in the final score, but you could argue that maybe it even flattered England a little bit. First half, Senegal were really good. Actually had some great chances and really played toe-to-toe with England. And then the second half, England's quality told, um, their clinicality told. What were you guys' take on this game? Even I would
2: say first half was Really even, actually. And honestly, Senegal had moments where they were better. Um, I wasn't so focused, but what I saw is like, you know, England kind of play that same old that they've been playing with the last couple of tournaments under uh, Southgate. You know, that kind of static football, not really fast-paced, just trying to wait for an opening. But then I have to give impressive and props to them. They were really really good on the counter, especially on the 2-0. I think personally, Senegal completely messed that up. They should have just fouled Bellingham. He would have been down, would have stopped the counter. Instead, they kind of back off and then don't defend, and Kane's completely open. And speaking of Kane, brilliantly, cold finishes right in front of goal. Uh seemed that, you know, he's really under his composure, and almost all the players are very much in sync. So, honestly, that that is a good sign for England going into France. You know, I, I thought, you know, it would be a like 1-2 game, or England would really struggle, but after Senegal kind of had their bad luck, I think England just pulled away. And yeah, I think it's a really good sign for England if they want to, you know, win this tournament or achieve something really good.
0: Yeah, I think that um, England England definitely showed that they have quality today uh, and that they have a lot more quality than the Senegal side. But <laughs> in in fairness to Senegal, they had some early chances, which you could have said, well... Senegal go up one nothing that forces England to, like, open up, right? But that ifs, ands, and buts, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Senegal started off well, and then, yeah, it's the same as with uh, France-Poland, where it was just, one of the two teams was very clearly better than the other and la- could last longer than than the other. And uh, I think I think that England versus France as a quarterfinal is going to be a bit uh, a bit of a test for Southgate because I think that for- they've not faced a team on the level of France for a while, and I think that uh, France could actually like really really. If if France get an early goal, and force England to open up, then England are done, right? There's no, I I don't think they really have much of a chance against France if they concede that early goal. If they stay defensive throughout the whole game, as as much as I hate to say it, uh, because I like, I like goals, which is not surprising, but. Uh, <laughs> If if they play defensively for the whole game, I think the only way they win is through extra time. I, I don't think they'll be able to, uh, to really do well against this France side. But, uh, I mean, we'll see. Ultimately, this England side have proven me wrong in the past. I wouldn't doubt that they could prove me wrong again.
2: But, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I think it's too good for a quarterfinal. And also, I think there's possibility of Portugal-Spain. So
1: those yeah, two in a
2: quarterfinal, to me, is crazy. Um, but that's the World Cup, and those are the moments and games you
1: live for. So. I mean, 2018, we had Brazil-Belgium in a quarterfinal. Yeah. So I think these things do happen. I mean, I don't know. I think it'll be a great game. I think both teams will have reasons why they'll feel like they can win it. I also just want to quickly draw attention on the England game to Harry Kane's passing. I thought was outstanding for England. Um, like he basically was their number 10 for a lot of that game and he was great. And then also they're young, they're young attackers. I mean, just the depth on this team, the fact that you have Kane, Saka, Foden, Rashford, and he wasn't even there today, but you, you'll have Sterling hopefully again, this tournament. Um, and hopefully he and his family are all safe after the armed robbery. Um, Hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to return. But if that that depth is just outstanding, and then you look at the midfield, you have Bellingham. You, I mean, Henderson somehow stepped up for this tournament. I wouldn't have started him, but he's doing great. Um, Declan Rice, Jack Relish on the bench. This is just a great squad. Yeah, I mean, I think that
0: with all the young talent they have, I know that in the past English young talent has been a bit overhyped but i think that in this generation that they have some players who i think might even actually be underhyped i think saka he he doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes i think he he puts up okay no like he puts up decent numbers in the prem and i mean yeah it's yeah and then foden i think that he could be up there maybe with the in a few years, with the Hollands or the Mbappes. I don't think he'll be better than them, but I think he'll at least be semi-comparable to them in the future. Uh, Just also because of the team he plays for. Inherently, you're going to be looked on as... As... uh, Or, nah, inherently, you're going to be playing better when you have better teammates. But yeah, it's... I I really like Phil Foden. I think um, Jude Bellingham, again, fantastic player. I think he is to an extent maybe overrated, but I don't I don't want to say it like that because I think that the fact that he plays in the Bundesliga is often used against him uh, by by a lot of fans but he's shown that he's better than most Premier League players in in this uh, in this World Cup so far. So I think that yeah England have a good a decent crop of players coming up and hopefully for them, you know uh, it, it eventually comes home. I don't want that to happen, but it 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 might be inevitable honestly with some of the players they have coming up. Yeah.
2: Yep. Okay. Well, then that brings us to the games yet to be played.
1: Yeah. So, Japan, Croatia. That's yeah. the next one. And that one should be so. That one to me is going to be a fascinating game to watch because we have two teams here who both are at this point. I guess. I guess Croatia is still technically a dark horse. Um, but there are two teams who will certainly feel like, I mean, the winner has a thankless prize playing Brazil, but two teams who, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against each other because Japan has already beaten two top sides in Germany and Spain. And I think that they'll certainly feel like they can beat Croatia as well. Well, Croatia have been inconsistent to say the least. Um, the Morocco draw looks better with each passing game. Um, the Canada victory was pretty emphatic with the exception of some early struggles. And the Belgium game, it's unclear what to make of it, given all the high danger chances they gave up. So certainly at this point in time, this is a very wide open game between two squads of a lot of talent. I think it's safe to say the Croatia are the more talented squad, but certainly at this point, Japan show sure that they have the players to go with anyone. And what are you guys' takes on this game?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there it's two teams that I think uh have been underrated throughout this entire tournament two teams that really have a lot of passion and fight in them right So it's gonna be fun to see how they both play. I think that Croatia on paper are the better side, but paper doesn't win games. It's players that do right and it's um, a team that wins games. And so I think that Japan maybe maybe in that team aspect, um right to team cohesion i think that they're favored in that sense but i think that on paper croatia are a much better side uh although we've seen japan beat teams that you know on paper are better right spain and germany both if we're if we're looking player by player you say oh no chance right but but they beat both of them so i mean it's it's possible and i think that um, Japan could pull off what what would be. I don't know whether I should call it an upset because they're both like on a somewhat similar level, but it, it they they could pull something off. Although Croatia have more of that experience in the World Cup, uh, so so it'll be fun to see this this experience come against uh, a, a team that in general is. Pretty young, you know, or maybe inexperienced uh, in in terms of doing deep runs
1: into the World Cup, right? Yeah, I will say it's also interesting to note that traditionally Croatia seem to prefer being the underdogs. Um, they are they're the sort of team where they like having that chip on their shoulders, and they won't have that here potentially. So yeah. that could be yeah. something to watch. Yeah, it's really
2: hard to predict. I think this is probably the game where like you don't have an indication of kind of who you think will win. I mean, it's really so open because both teams, you know, they're kind of under the radar. They pull off surprise performances, and in a way, I kind of think like Japan is kind of that new Croatia without, let's say, Modric. You know, I mean, they don't have that one superstar, but yeah, it's honestly it could go either way. but I, I have a feeling Croatia will pull through. So I'm predicting 2-1 Croatia or 1-1 penalties, Japan, uh, 1-1 penalties. And as you saw in the 2018 World Cup, the Croatians were pretty successful in that department.
0: So. Yeah, I think I would say that it's going to be... It's tough. I, I think it'll be somewhat low-scoring. And it'll be one-one, and on penalties, Croatia go through. But I would not be surprised if it was like two-one, Japan yeah, uh, in extra time. Or they pull off the same
2: thing they did in Germany, Spain. Come out the half, score two ret- goals out of nowhere, first ten minutes, and then yeah, play.
0: yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those games
1: yeah i don't for me this one's really tough to predict um i mean at the start of this i said i'm a croatia fan personally so maybe my fandom here is starting to interfere with just my purely analytical brain um because there's a lot of things which tell me that i should have more faith in croatia than i do but there's part of me that's nervous about them Uh, i think they've been disappointing so far honestly i expected them to be i expected them to play not dominant But clearly, it cut above the other teams in their group, and well, Italy, Morocco are better than I expected. The Belgium game, I think, is worrying, and Japan. I just their their mentality and their drive are great, and their talent is also really good. I think Croatia are more talented, but at this point, Japan has showed like they've they have good enough players that like it doesn't shock me anymore if they beat anyone. Um, I really don't know here. Um. I'm really, my prediction is more a prediction based on just like, I need to break something and I want to make a safer bet. So I'm going to say Croatia find a way to win. Um, I do think like you guys, it'll be 2-1 Croatia or 1-1 after penalties. Um, but yeah, this one's really tough. I mean, I'm going to be up tomorrow morning watching it and I'm going to be fascinated to see how this plays out. I think it's, I think it has a potential to be an absolutely great game because these are two teams who if they if they're fully at it, they'll be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and then on to the next game in that uh, uh, the the two p.m. game for tomorrow, Brazil versus South Korea. On paper, right, just like the last one, one of the two teams is better than the other, right? Brazil, uh, although Brazil probably more so uh, than Croatia would be better than the team they're playing against. But I think that. It's gonna be a lot more difficult than some people think. I do think that Brazil will win it pretty comfortably. But I wouldn't be surprised if South Korea score a goal, right? Uh I, I think I think that they could maybe uh especially with uh Son, they could they could do something, but uh they're not gonna win realistically. Uh, Brazil are just a more talented team in general, uh, and I think that that star power is just gonna overpower almost any team they face until they face one of the other top ten countries or something. Uh, but yeah, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Uh, this game. Uh, I mean. I think I'm kind of comparing it to the England-Senegal game where you see
2: maybe in the first few minutes, you see that South Korea, I mean, like, they have every game so far. They will create chances. They'll have a good few, but, you know, not put them away. Or, and then you have Brazil who just have those good moments and those good dominant players in attack. And I heard also Neymar will be fit. So that gives them that extra boost. And I think that extra comfort in a way, he kind of can dictate, dictate the game, organize it, control it. Um so, yeah, no offense towards South Korea. I think they'll put up a great performance, but performance. But I just think Brazil is too good for them, simply. And every department, you know, even in the defense, are very solid in the midfield. I mean, in the offense, I mean, they have everyone. South Korea only have some good players in some good positions. And while they have a good team spirit, yeah. They'll probably come to, you know, a sympathetic end, I will say.
1: Yeah, I think that... I don't know. I think, and admittedly, I've barely watched South Korea this tournament, so I'm still operating largely on assumptions come from pre-tournament and then based on just what I've seen from their results. And I think that right now their team has played better than the, some of their parts. Um, I think, in my mind, you take Jungmin min Sun out of that team, and it's really an ordinary side with a few decent players. Um, Brazil on paper are a lot more talented. I think that Brazil, the Cameroon game, though, was a bit of a shock. And I have a feeling that that could psychologically affect them in ways that we haven't predicted yet, because I don't think that they ever foresaw that happening to them. And I could totally see them coming out and looking shaky or nervous. Um, I think having Neymar back will help a lot, and I think ultimately their quality will tell. But I have a feeling that this, game could, this game will go one of two ways. I think either the Koreans will show up and their team spirit and talent and Brazil's nerves will combine to make this a really interesting one or Brazil will get through the gears, start going at top speed. And then I mean, they've, they will not have experience beating skillful teams. They took care of Serbia. They took care of Switzerland. And I think they'll do the same here. And regardless, I think Brazil finds a way to win in the end. I'm going to say three to one Brazil. Yeah. My prediction
0: is going to be five, one Brazil. I think that the attacking quality of this team is just too good. It's not something that uh, that South Korea have faced yet, right? Against Portugal, obviously Ronaldo was playing, but for the most part, that was Portugal's B team. Ghana, as much as I love Ghana, I love Ghana fans, I love everything about them. Uh, they don't have much attacking threat or as much as Brazil, of course, and then Uruguay, with their two strikers who are both 37, and then a Nunez who couldn't hit a barn door if he tried, right? So I actually no, I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit nice towards Nunez. I, I, I think he's he has potential to be great, but he's at the moment not the most clinical. So I think against Brazil that's really gonna show. Uh, and I think that Brazil are going to score quite a few goals. But uh, with all due respect to South Korea, I think they could get one back or even maybe two. Uh, yeah. What about what about you, Bjorn? I
2: don't know. Uh, I would say maybe 3-1, 4-1 one, one, I have a feeling, though, I think South Korea might take the lead or something, get kind of happy. But once that one goal goes in from Brazil, I think it's going to be 1-2, 3-4 or even more. But yeah, we'll see. Who knows?
0: Yeah. And then. Uh, what was the game after that? The game after that is Morocco Four. versus Spain. Um, so, uh, Morocco versus Spain. Two teams that, uh, well, I mean, they don't exactly like each other too much for historical reasons. But. Um it's it's always fun to have a rivalry game in the World Cup, uh, if you could even really call it that, because historically Spain have been a lot better. But right now I think it'll be actually be very competitive. Uh I think that this Morocco team have so much quality, and so do the Spain team, but I feel like Spain sort of underperform for the quality they have, right? And Morocco just shock people, Uh, and I think that they'll still have that shock effect against Spain, Uh, and and, and this could be a game that's on upset watch, honestly, like, this is, this is the one where I'm thinking to myself, Morocco could do this, honestly, um, but, Spain are obviously gonna make it tough, they're, they're a quality side themselves, and, uh, yeah, so my prediction is going to be 1-1 and Morocco win on penalties. Uh I or no, nah, I'm not going to say or cuz I don't want it to be like, "Oh yeah, I predicted two things and one of them was right." Right? So, I'm going to stick to that. But I do think that Spain could also just like play the way that they're expected to and uh dominate but this is one that's really a toss-up in my
1: opinion what about for you guys i think this is gonna be fascinating uh like i said i think morocco is maybe the only side in this tournament who hasn't had a disappointing result yet um i've i mean i'm not sure just how good croatia are yet but that game i think is a decent result for them um, Belgium beating Belgium the way they did, I think is good. Beating Canada, you expect them to do it, but still. I think this game is definitely an offset watch. Um, I almost wonder if Morocco are maybe even the favorites now. Um, Spain have more talent, but the way Morocco are playing, they'll have the home, they'll basically have a home field advantage. They've had great crowds um in Qatar. And I think Spain are, Spain's performances so far have all the hallmarks of a traditional Spain. Sometimes we look great. Sometimes we just don't tournament. I mean, losing to Japan is excusable. Um, but at the same time, like they lost to Japan. You can make the case they should have lost to Germany and their game against Costa Rica. They scored early and they scored often. So I feel like this is going to be a low scoring game. I don't trust Spain's forwards to break the deadlock. I don't trust Morocco's offense really yet. I think they've put up decent results, but against defenses which aren't amazing. But in the end, I and I feel really unconfident in this prediction as well. Um, I think I flip flopped on this one in the last couple of days, but I'm gonna say Morocco one nil at the end of extra time. Something in me just says that Morocco is gonna pull this off and they're gonna be the upset of this round. Um, I just think I think they're a quality side. Um, yeah, I, I think it
2: kind of depends on the Spain you get if you get the kind of like. Not uh, let's say nervous spain they, they don't really know what to do they're not really confident i could honestly see morocco playing off and winning uh i haven't seen much morocco but i don't know I've, i have that kind of sense that they haven't really played that top top side yet and maybe they're just not as comfortable uh maybe they really practiced well in the group face and credited them they did extraordinarily well um but yeah i say th- i think they'll show and often say they have moments and they'll kind of break through that defense, as we know. It's not the Sergio Ramos-JRPK duo anymore, uh, so they are breakable. Um, But I feel like you really get the best out of Spain. I, I really think Luis Enrique is a focused coach. If it really comes down to it, Spain will deliver. Uh, so I'm going 2-3 Spain and Spain scoring in extra time, to 3-2. That's my prediction. Uh, prediction.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And then the next game is Portugal-Switzerland.
2: Yep. Uh, Portugal-Switzerland, personally, two teams I rather admire. Um, Interesting game. I think Portugal, in a way, kind of slacked off against South Korea. Maybe we're like, eh, whatever. Um, But also against the Switzerland, uh, Switzerland team who I would say come off a really good feeling of kind of, you know, really, I wouldn't say dominating that Serbia match, but, you know, controlling it and getting the deserved win. So I think it'll be a really interesting game, but I have that sense, you know, Portugal, they have those quality players up front. I mean, I think players like Bruno Fernandes and uh, Rafael Leo on the bench coming on, like they've been really bright spots of this team. You know, you always have players like Bernardo Silva and of course, well, we know Cristiano Ronaldo. I think that might just be too much for uh, Switzerland. Uh, Then again, you could argue Switzerland really having good defense with Akanji, who I think has been great at City. So I think this could be a really interesting game and potential upset, but I don't know. Do you see Portugal as kind of just flunking out already, or do you think they'll continue their kind of expected dominance? Because Safe to say, in the last few tournaments, they haven't really lived up to the hype.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, that, oh, sorry. I think that like they're, um, I don't know, they're they're difficult to tell. I think the Ghana result was good up until suddenly they let Ghana back into the game, which was alarming. Um, I think. I mean, they were better against Uruguay. I thought that was good. Losing to South Korea is a little bit of a worry, though. And there's, you always get the sense that like Portugal. You just you don't necessarily trust them to perform up to their talent level. And Switzerland, I was a little bit more down on coming into this tournament. And I thought the Serbia were going to beat them. I thought the first half, Serbia were the better side. The second half, Switzerland, yeah, they did a great job taking over controlling. They showed some style with their great team goal. Um, it's funny, too, because these two teams have played each other recently in the Nations League, which I feel like can maybe give us some clues as to how they're going to play now. And I, I just think that this game is going to go to extra time. I think it's going to be tight. Um, Talent wise, I trust Portugal. I don't really have any reason other than the South Korea game to doubt them at the moment. But I also wouldn't bet against the Swiss right now, given that I think that was a great result for them. And when you look at the Nations League results, it's interesting to note that the last two games between them, one was a one-nil Switzerland win, one was a 4 0 Portugal win. So this could really go either way. Um, uh, I really don't know right now. This is definitely going to extra time, and I d- again, I don't feel super confident in my prediction. I'm gonna say eh. it's gonna be two one. But I'm still I'm like in my mind one second I'm like it's Switzerland, another second I'm like it's Portugal. And yeah. in the end I think I'm gonna say that Portugal's gonna edge it. I'm gonna trust their talent, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that uh we have a young somer masterclass coming upon us very soon. Will he be fit? Because Kogel played the last game, but I, I think he will, right? I mean, it's illness, I hope not. He shouldn't be fit.
1: No. Been, he, been he, it was so just a fit. cold, so
0: yeah, okay. it's day-to-day. And then, yeah, I mean, the defense of Switzerland is so hard to break down. Although, I should probably keep in mind the fact that, um, yeah, Portugal have a very talented attack. It all really depends on if... Portugal go uh go focus their attack through Ronaldo or not and I think that if they focus it through Ronaldo this could actually be a Switzerland win as as much as I think Ronaldo is arguably the greatest of all time I think that right now I mean he's like what 37 it's it's come on you know I don't think he should I I think he should probably as much as I hate to say it I think he should be a super sub honestly for this uh Portugal side but I think they're still gonna end up starting him and I think that um yeah he uh I I think that it could be very, very close. I, both sides—it's not going to be the most entertaining game because both sides are very defensive in their in their tactics. But I, th- I think Switzerland could edge it zero-zero and then on penalties. Because if it goes to penalties, I think Switzerland win just because Sommer on penalties is yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. If it it doesn't go to penalties, I think Portugal win. But I'm going to say 0-0, and then Switzerland win on penalties.
2: Uh, I'll say... I have that feeling, like, I don't know, I just have that picture in my mind, Ronaldo scoring a header in, like, 120th minute, and then the whole media goes crazy. I don't know. I would say Switzerland 1, Poland 2. Portugal 2, and Ronaldo scoring the final decisive winner and the debate will continue of who's the goat because arguably I would say Messi's had an excellent tournament. Uh, and Mbappe's had a great tournament. I think it's Ronaldo's time. He hasn't really, so to say, shown up yet. Um, if that's the right, if that's the right word.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so I think that does it for uh, the final part of our three part episode three of uh, considering the World Cup podcast, I'm Holden Willemsen. You're with Bjorn Schaefer and Dash Tischler. Make sure to follow us on social media at um, on Twitter, considering WC, and on Instagram, considering the World Cup Insta. It's been a pleasure, and uh, you know, have a have a wonderful day, night, afternoon, whatever you're having. And, uh, goodbye. See you next time.